We have a very special guest this morning, a um, very good friend of mine. His name is Paul Edwards. And uh, before Paul comes up to preach the Word of God to us, uh, let me just share a little bit about how Paul and I met. Um, so before I became a pastor, I was uh, actually a CPA. That's a certified public accountant. And um, I was really good at it. I mean, just to be hum- humbly, I mean, modestly, super very good at it. You know, like, it's just in our genes, you know, Chinese people. Like, we, we come out of our mother's womb, we're able to count to 10. So, I mean, seriously, really good at it. And so, in 2001, I, I went to this uh, parachurch organization called Hawaiian Islands Ministries. And I, I'm, I'm sitting in front of this big, burly, howly dude. And he wants to hire me to be his accountant. And he, he sees talent, you know. I mean, he's like, oh, this guy can count. I want him. And so... I worked for him for two years, and then he moves to, um, he and his family moves away to the mainland. Now they're living in Massachusetts. I, I mean, I don't even know how to spell Massachusetts. Yeah. I mean, Chinese, we're good at counting, but not at spelling. I mean, yeah. So anyway, he lives far away somewhere out in the mainland there. And so, um, but we continue to dialogue and um, build this relationship. And little did I know that it was a divine uh, relationship. It was a God-initiated, God-appointed kind of relationship. You see, over the years, um, it was Paul who encouraged me to go to seminary and pursue my Master of Divinity degree. It was Paul who encouraged me to start Ohana Christian Church. It is Paul that's there for me when I'm going through a difficult season or a difficult time in my life and I need godly wisdom, godly spiritual direction. It's Paul that I call. And we all need a Paul in our lives. And so this is the Paul that's in my life. He's a, a spiritual director, a mentor, and a good friend. And so would you warmly welcome my good friend, Paul Edwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, brother. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. This is an honor to be here in this church. And um, as you know, the better half of Thomas is Imelda. And uh, when we we, uh, fell in love with Thomas, we also fell in love with Imelda, who is um, in in his uh, canoe. She's not the sail, but she is the rudder, yeah? You know, so she's able to kind of keep him heading in the same direction. Um, Perhaps a little more background um, on the mainland, and actually before coming to Hawaiian Islands Ministries, uh, and then after it, uh, I raise money. So I'm a fundraiser. Now, most people don't grow up wanting to be fundraisers, right? It's the last thing you want to do. Oh, God forbid that I might be a plaid-fisted, uh, ham, or a plaid-suited, ham-fisted, used-car-selling uh, fundraiser, but that God has a funny sense of humor, and he made me one of those. Okay, So this is my 40th year of asking people for money, of getting no and finding out what no means. It's, a, it's not the sort of thing that people naturally want to welcome you in when they learn that you raise money. Right? Reminds me of the story of the, of the man who, as a fundraiser, he was traveling in upcountry Maui, and he had with him a, a Muslim friend, and he also had a friend who was from India, a Hindu. And so they're traveling through Maui, and it's getting kind of late in the day, and they get lost, and then, wouldn't you know it, thunderstorm, car breaks down. 
and they're up in the countryside. Okay? So they don't know what to do, so they walk to this, to this little house, and it's a house, and it's a kind of a farm, you know. And then there's a barn and everything, and they, they walk in. And, um, you know, he says to his friends that uh, certainly the Ohana spirit, the aloha, the welcome will be here. And sure enough, the man says, okay, guys, come on in. We'll take care of your car tomorrow. So he gives them a great supper. They dine. It's wonderful. And then he says, you know, um, there's not enough room in the house for all three of you to sleep here. So one of you is going to have to hike out to the barn and sleep in the barn. And so the three people look at each other. And, uh, and the guy who's uh, from India says, no problem. I will go out and I will sleep in the barn. And so, good night, good night. And so he, he heads out into the barn. A couple minutes later, there's a knock on the door, and it's the guy from India. And he says, there is a cow in the barn. Uh, that is a sacred animal to me. I cannot sleep in the barn. And so, so they look at each other, and the, the guy, you know, the Muslim guy says, you know, that's okay. I, I, I will go out and sleep in the barn. So, good night, good night. A couple minutes later, there's a knock on the door, and it's the Muslim guy. And he says, I hate to say this, but there is a, there's a pig in the barn. Pig is an unclean animal. I, I cannot sleep in the barn. So the fundraiser, you know, he says, okay, it's all right, I'll go out to the barn. So he goes, good night, good night, goes out to the barn. A couple minutes later, there's a knock at the door, and um, there stands the cow and the pig. All right? So, oh, there you go. <laughs> there stand the cow and the pig. You see, they don't want to be with the fundraiser either, okay? So nobody, so nobody likes being with the fundraiser. All right. So, as you've probably figured out, I'm going to be doing non-traditional sermon telling. So, you, some of you will go, I am so glad that this is Thomas's friend, and I'm glad he lives like half the world away, and is not, this is not the way you do preaching. But as for me and my house, we preach this way. So, and it is sort of going to involve you all in the telling of the sermon. So, we're going to do a little singing as a group. And you're also going to do some public reading of Scripture as a group. Because, I don't know about you, but God's Word is meant to be heard and sometimes sung. Okay, so this is the rehearsal time, all right? I have a piece of music for us to be able to sing, and I don't need everybody to do it. How many, just by show of hands, how many would call themselves singers here? Uh, just singers, okay? So we're going to rely on you all to do a little bit of singing. And more importantly, how many of you know the Ballad of Gilligan's Island? Okay, it's a kind of an old song. It's pretty easy. Don't have to do it too loud. But there'll be an important part of the sermon where we need to set it up with the Gilligan's Island. All right? So let's just try one rehearsal here. It's real easy. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The weather started getting rough the tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. Very nice. Okay, that was really good. I'll give you the part of the sermon where you're going to need to sing that. Okay, but I'll also show you the words here. How about another one? We get, this is even way throwback Thursday, okay? Anybody remember the Adams family? <clears throat> okay, so we're going to, it's the same sort of the thing. And I'll give you the start. Now, those of you who know this, you know what you're supposed to do. Ready? Da-da-da-dum. 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 
They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together ooky, the Adams family. Da 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 dum, beat da 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 dum, sweet da 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 dum, da 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 dum, da 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 dum, petite. Okay, so you got that. That's the second song. Okay, now there are going to be a couple more songs, but you don't need to rehearse them. All right, but these ones, because they're kind of old school sort of things, they're pretty good. All right, so we're all comfortable with singing. Now, I know that there are also some kids here who really like sound effects. You know, like doing sound effects. And this story has sounds in it, too. All righty? There are some spooky sounds in this story. So we're going to need to create kind of, kind of haunted house sounds. All right? So what I need you to do is I need you to just kind of, kind of practice the haunted house sounds. And they don't sound like that. They're kind of like... You do that sort of thing? Okay. Some of you also, you can probably create wind sounds and things like that, like, you know, with your mouth. Okay. You'll see where this fits in. Trust me, it's useful. This is, this is going to make a memorable sermon, all right? So when you, hear, when you hear me say spooky sounds, you need to try it, all right? On three. One, two, three. Quiet, spooky sounds. Okay, a little more. A little more. A little more. <laughs> now you got it. Okay, okay, you're with me. All right. What does this have to do with a sermon? Thomas, who did you let into your pulpit? This is craziness, man. Okay. Oh, and there's one more sound. There's one more sound. Pig squeals. Anybody do a pig sound? Can we do that? Somebody try it. Come on, let's get a little, little grunty. Wait, wait. Yeah, there's a little boy, there's a little girls there. You guys are excellent at that. Why? Because you, you, you know, you're uninhibited. You're still young, right? You know, and the parents are like, ah, he's making me do this. Okay, I need, though, a sound of pigs. Ready? One, two, three. Good. Or you could do porky pig. That's all, folks. Okay. All righty. So, I think we've got all of the essential elements of the sermon. What we're lacking is the story itself. So the story is going to begin with the tune from Gilligan's Island, okay? It's a cautionary tale. Now sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from a tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The weather started getting rough the tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. All together, let's read. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind although other boats followed. In Mark's gospel, we have the account of Jesus' outward ministry. Just before this story, he, on a lonely hillside, has fed 5,000 people. He has demonstrated 
a provision for people that would be like bread from Moses in the wilderness, the feeding of the 5,000. He's also demonstrated cures. But he has decided that he is now, with his disciples, going to go across the lake from safe Capernaum in Galilee, and he's going to head to the eastern side of the lake. The eastern side of the lake is, is not that friendly. It's a Greek-controlled, Romanized area. It's called the Ten Cities. Thomas would know this, the Decapolis. It was a gift of some cities that were, it was made by King David to Hiram of Tyre. And Hiram thought so little of it, he said, these are trash cities. He didn't like them. Roman rule is there. The Roman sacrificial system is there. The Roman gods are there. And if you were a good Jew, you did not go for a trip across the Sea of Galilee to Gergesa or to the Gadarenes. But yet, at the end of the ministry day, Jesus gets in a boat. Now sit right back and you'll hear a tale. It is a fateful trip, and it's starting from Capernaum aboard a tiny ship. He is going to sail across. Seems unusual. Why would, he, why would he do this? Let's continue and see what happens in the story. Together, church. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? It has been a long day. Jesus has been preaching. He has been healing. He's dog-tired. And what starts off as maybe a three-hour trip from Capernaum over to the Gerasenes now is a surprise trip. The weather started getting rough and the tiny ship was tossed. But he doesn't awake. He is so tired. He is so worn out. But it's, it's pretty severe. And he, he, whom the disciples have followed, needs to do something about this. So waking from his sleep, he decides to show something of who he is. Together. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus does something really frightening. He has fed the 5,000, which is not to create a sense of fear, but rather awe and provision. But he does something here in the midst of a royal sea to cause the disciples to go, who is this man? Who is this man? Many of us, when we meet Jesus, we meet Jesus when we have some basic need. We meet Jesus when we're at a point in our life when we perhaps needed to be fed. 
We meet Jesus in maybe pleasant circumstances. But there are times in our life when the Jesus that we meet in a pleasant circumstance on the shore, we need to have in the boat when the sailing gets rough, when it becomes an awful and roiled sea, when our belief in what we know of the circumstances is so great that we're terrified. And all we can pray is that very ancient prayer, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, help me. Congregation, let's learn that simple prayer. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, help me. There are times in your life when you are at the bottom and that is all you can pray. Times in your life also when you may think that Jesus is asleep in the boat and doesn't care, that somehow his power is not available to you right now. You're wrong. It is. If I've learned anything about the Jesus that I follow, his timing is perfect, but his method is surprise. His timing is perfect, but he doesn't do the same thing twice. He always is a surprise. So the disciples are thrown off, badly thrown off. But their night is young. There's more to come. Remember the Adams Family song? Ready? They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky, and altogether rooky, the Adams Family. Da-da-da-dun, neat, da-da-da-dun, sweet, da-da-da-dun, 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 petite. So, they finally land, but they land in a place that is decidedly unwelcoming. So in this next section, I'm going to read the scripture, but I need you to start low as this calm water we pull into a cemetery. Okay? Spooky sounds. Ready? Go. So they arrived at the other side of the lake, in the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as often as he was, he snapped the chains with his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. So when you usually hear this preached, we don't get all this evocative stuff, right? The boys arrive at the Gerasenes. They're wet. They're frightened already. It's nighttime, and here's the Ohana welcome with the lace. <laughs> Not so much, huh? We learn that this guy has also companions in Luke's gospel. There are others besides him. He's not the only one out there. The tombs are the place where if you are the human garbage, you go. You probably would find people who are leprous. Imagine. Imagine arriving at a place where, to your surprise, this is no garden paradise. This is hell on earth. And you have the doorman 
at the Kapiolani comes out and he's crazy. Right? But that's who it is. It's like taking a sail to Molokai and landing at Kawapapa. Kawapapa, yeah. Frightening, yeah? Okay. But this is where Jesus takes his disciples at the end of a hard day's work. And he has something that he wants to prove. Not just is he God over the storms and the trials, but he is the God who's going to meet the need of this crazy man. So, everyone remember who this is? Yeah? This poor guy is, you can find in the Lord of the Rings. He, he started off as this other guy, Smeagol. But his obsession and his focus with gold, sorry, he started, there's another slide. He started off as a Smeagol, but his obsession with this one ring has turned him inward. And he has extraordinary strength. He has an amazing, an amazing ability to withstand pain and to resist help. He is, he's a man possessed. Not all of us run into demons, but many of us run into people, and we may even know some in family, who seem to be beyond help, seem to be kind of crazy. Anybody just a slight raise of hand know anyone like that? <laughs> Before coming to Hawaiian Islands Ministries, I had the opportunity to work in a prison ministry with a man named Chuck Colson, and we would go into prison and we would bring the gospel to prisoners. Hey, look at these guys. Can you see these guys here? Coming for the story, all right? Birds of the field. We would go into prison, and there was one prison, Rikers Island. The nickname for Rikers Island is the Tombs. It is the location where all the criminals of New York, they've given up on them. They're going to spend their days there. But you know what? In the darkest places, God sends people to bring light, to bring help. It's not what they started doing at the beginning of their day, but God had a messenger for them, a message for them. Same is true with this unnamed man here in the Gerizines. Let's continue with the spooky story. Together, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. The situation for this man is pretty desperate. He has now within his spirit many spirits. Jesus tells of the man who once freed from his sin, but having failed to move in discipleship to become a follower of Jesus, leaves, in effect, the house empty. And the spirit, seeing the house empty with no new spirit in it, brings back seven spirits far worse than itself. 
like being kicked out of a rental, all right? It was your home. You come back in, it's clean, but you do nothing to protect it, nothing to move in. And squatters come in and take over the place. This is the, what's happened to this man. Seems like a terrible case. Seems like beyond cure. Seems like there couldn't be the possibility of such a transformation. Pause here because we need to understand that this conflict that's taking place right now around this man is a historic conflict. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on demons, but simply to say they are a real force in this world. They begin, obviously, in Genesis with the conflict between the serpent and the woman. But it continues. We'll see finally that Revelation, the conflict, manifests itself as again between the serpent and also God's angels. In Jude, we see it's a spiritual struggle in the spiritual world. In Daniel, it has physical presence, that is, its time and space in Persia. In Ezekiel, we see that the elements of the demons have an origin, and the story of Satan's beginning, metaphorically, is the king of Tyre. And then finally, in 1 Peter, we read, evil spirits have been imprisoned since the flood for leaving their first habitation and corrupting humanity. So, this poor man has become the Hotel California for a bunch of demons. Jesus' trip, apparently now, has a point. He's come through a storm, and he's come for a person. He knows that there's a man, and that man needs to be clothed, healed, sitting in his right mind. And he needs to be healed from what is currently holding him in possession. Okay, enter the pigs. On cue, what I'll do is I'll raise my hand and we will have a slight, not long, chorus of pig squeals. All right, I'll go like this and then drop. And we're going to do it while reading. Together, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. Send us into these pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. Ready? So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Falling pigs, anyone? Whee! First case of swine flu, yeah? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus decides, Jesus decides that for this particular man, that he is going to make an exchange. It's a costly exchange. And he is going to put those, those demons in something. There's something important to know about them. But first, let's get the local reaction. Church together. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. 
Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. It is still nighttime. And these people who are watching this herd knew about the crazy man in the, in the cemetery, right? But apparently, they also were good like Chinese. They knew math. And the exchange rate for one man clothed and in his right mind was 2,000 pigs. What if it turns out that there are many more like Crazy Jack? They can't afford the cure. So, they are afraid that this prophet who comes in and says, bring me your next patient. Oh, and I'll also need another 2,000 pigs that that's going to be really expensive for them. So, of course, they're afraid, and of course, they want him to leave. Of course, he's got to disappear. There's something else, though, that you need. You need to see that Scripture is not unmindful that this story harks back to something else just two chapters earlier in Mark's Gospel. You see, we have, in the garrison swine herds keeping watch over their pigs by night. All right? There were shepherds in Bethlehem keeping watch over their sheep by night. The pig is the sacrificial animal of the Romans. The lamb is the sacrificial animal of the Jews. The sound of demons accompanies the new birth of the man who was a demon. The sound of angels accompanies the new birth of the Savior. He was a sinner saved by grace. He never sinned. It was the death of pigs that paid for this man. It was the death of innocence, the slaughter of the innocents went Jesus' birth. And finally, fear spread with this man's new incarnation. But faith and joy spread with Jesus's. What are we to make of this story then? Well, let's finish it up and see what maybe the implications are. Reading together. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. It's easy in this story to think that this is a person who's out there, some scary relative or scary neighbor that we know. But this story actually is about, about many of us. Many of us who were caught in sin, who were held, as the old hymn said, in sin's dread sway that we could do nothing to pull ourselves out of that condition. Though we were living, we were walking among the tombs. I know that feeling. I knew what it was like as a Stanford student to know that I was very far, very far from God. I would go to class, but I had no sense that my life had meaning or purpose. Believe that I was terminally unique and untouchable an actor who could project lots, but and with a big voice and a big personality, keep people away. 
but inside, a dead man walking. But Jesus reached across heaven to earth and found me in the tombs of my life. He reached in, and right after my graduation, brought a young woman who we celebrate this year, 40 years of marriage, who was unafraid of the scary big guy with the beard, and walked toward him with a message of love and peace and be still and know that I am God. Some of you this morning know for yourself that maybe you are that scary person. I can't speak for women, but having worked with men in prison and working at Promise Keepers, there are men who believe that they are beyond help and beyond hope, that you are that demoniac if only people knew. I can say to you this, that the God who in Jesus can calm a storm, that same God can reach into your life and change you and make you that different man. He can present you clothed and in your right mind. It was expensive work. 2,000 pigs bankrupted that economy. But it seems as though God doesn't care very much for the price tag, does he? For a world in sin, he took the most valuable thing that you could ever imagine, and he was willing to exchange his priceless son so that this world could be reconciled to him. In parables, he says that he will forsake the 99 and go after the one. And that the price that's paid is for the sparrow, for the thing that has no value. And he cares about that. His eye is on that. Can I say, church, no matter what you've done, what you've been, and even who you are today, you are not beyond the saving and reaching power of Jesus to come in and hear your name and your voice and kick out the legion that happens to be there. It is, just, it is just as simple as a step of faith. I place my faith in Jesus alone. You know, there was a man who ran from God a long time ago. His name was Jonah. He wound up in the belly of a whale. The whale had to take him through a three-days-in-the-grave experience only to have him resurrected from his own fish tomb. But he spat him out on the shore with a new task, a changed man. God has a purpose for you, too. No matter where you've been, he has a place of destiny, a new shore for the Jonah that you may be. Perhaps, though, you're someone who is praying for a person in your family. You're praying for a relative. Praying for a father, a brother, a son, a mother, a sister. Your persistent intercession on their behalf is breaking a chain and breaking bondage. Jesus doesn't take the trip on the boat alone. He goes with a community. He goes with a church. You probably never thought about this, but when you go into the old churches and you look up at the ceiling you notice that the ceilings look remarkably like the bottom of a boat? It was by design. When the old churches were built in the old cathedrals, 
They saw the story of the church going through the storm and coming out to the very desperate places as exactly the mission that they were to be on. This is why in the pictures you see Jesus asleep in the boat and you go, why do they come back to that theme of boats? And why is it even in the architecture of the bottom of a ship? That's because that's what we are. We're the rescue boat to people like this in the near far away, the near neighborhood, the places that terrify us and maybe terrify you. There's another song that you can sing to Gilligan's Island. The tune, but these words. It goes like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's sing it together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. But you know, you can continue the words of that song to yet one other song. And it's the one that we're going to close with. You see, the end is not that we are just saved from our sin, but that we are set free to live lives of victory, lives of glory, lives of, yes, I have been saved from what I was, but I've been saved to a new hope, to a new promise, to a new life. So you can take Joy to the World, the tune, and you can sing Amazing Grace to Joy to the World. You guys can do that. Let's try it. <clears throat> Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed. The hour I first believed. The hour 